Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing editor Ross Binder. Here to talk about what was a horrid, horrid game on Saturday that Adam and I were able to attend in Happy Valley, where the Hawkeyes lost 31 to 0. And you know, we're going to go over all of it. We're we're going to see what we can add to the conversation, though. <laughs> I don't know that there's a whole lot to be said, guys. I mean, it was just ugly from top to bottom. They dug themselves a hole with mistakes. And again, we'll go over all of this in great detail. But uh, just Adam, you and I both wrote. Well, I guess, Ross, you were you were in there, too. We, we all wrote um, columns after the game. Ross, yours got quite a bit of attention. And for good reason, if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. And it had some great nuggets in there that, well, they were great information. They weren't exactly awesome to read. Uh, Ross, share that with us and and your thoughts along with it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of putting this game in context of some other recent performances with, you know, the Big Ten's Big Three, which would be Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And, uh you know, for a long time, Iowa did well against those teams. Not, you know, they won a fair number and they were almost always competitive in those games under Ference. Um, but the last four games, you know, they, they beat Penn State in 2021, which everyone remembers fondly. That's the three versus four game, uh, the Nico Reggini, you know, late touchdown. But the games since then have been really just atrocious. There was the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. Uh, the regular season game against Michigan last year, which ended up 27-14, wasn't really that close because all the Iowa scoring came in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach. Uh, the Ohio State game in Columbus last year, which was, you know, every every bit as much of a debacle as this game was, except, you know, they just managed to score a few more points. It was 56-10, to 10, but it was as one-sided a domination as this game, and and then Saturday night's game with Penn State, where, um, you know, like you said, it was just nothing worked for Iowa, just complete one-sided dominance from Penn State, essentially. So, yeah, I just kind of dug into some of those numbers, and it's it's pretty grim. You know, it's, Iowa just has not been competitive with those teams at all the last, you know, two years and change, basically. So, you know, what, what they're going to do to fix that is, I think, probably the biggest question for the next, you know, two months of the season, you know, if we think they can still win the West, which I think is still very doable, they're going to face one of these teams again in uh, Indianapolis in December. So, you know, what can they do to make sure that game is not a rehash of these last few? Because no one, no one wants that. Absolutely. And go, go ahead, Adam. I would agree with everything Ross said and uh, up to and including the fact that the team goal of winning the Big Ten West is still absolutely within reach. And a lot of what we heard from the players after the game was that, you know, this is this is one game. There's a lot to improve on. They they still believe in themselves. And and you know, it's good to hear that they are not going to let this game beat themselves twice and that they still have their eyes on you know, bigger goals that are still out there as, as opposed to dwelling on something like this, because you, you really do have to have a short memory in pretty much any 
athletic pursuit, but but certainly in in something like football and in and college football in particular. So, you know, the the sky isn't quite falling in the locker room the way it is on message boards or anything like that. But to what Ross said, if they don't figure out how to make these games competitive again, and I say again because they have been historically up until recently, and that's one of the questions that I'm going to be asking Kurt on Tuesday, and our premium subscribers will already know that, but one of the questions is, all right, if this is really about execution, then how do you get there? You know, it's one thing to say, well, we needed more from the players, but it's also up to coaches to put them in position to succeed to begin with. Do we think that these guys are already in position to succeed? You know, tough to say after they get drubbed like that. And let's make no mistake, Penn State's a great team. If they play that well, they can beat just about anybody in the Big Ten and can probably cause a lot of consternation in the college football playoff, too. Like, that is a really, really good team. And really good teams, when they play pretty close to flawless, are really difficult to beat. So let's – I don't think they're going to overreact in Iowa City. But to Ross's question – how does this not happen again? And that's sort of what I want to hear from Kirk and, and what I think a lot of fans want to hear from Kirk too. A team that is that good played that close to flawless and took advantage of your mistakes. Right. Not only was there fumble by Cade when it was pretty much out of hand already, the fumble by Eric all on the second drive and the ball that went off the Diaz Fernandez back. And not to mention the muffed punt by their returner that about seven to eight times out of 10 Cooper DeGene gets on top of, and maybe returns for a touchdown half of those times. Nothing went the way of Iowa on top of facing a team that is, I I don't want to say, uh, that is obviously better than than Iowa is. So there's just a couple of, I mean Penn State's good. Iowa helped them helped them beat beat them in in a, in several ways. And so this game was absolutely putrid from top to bottom and we're obviously going to going to talk a little bit more about that extensively but like they didn't help themselves the offensive line was just horrid uh, and not to mention and like the last thing i'm going to do is is blame officiating because this game was not on officiating there was poor officiating but this game was was not determined by the officiating whatsoever iowa oh. helped them iowa helped them out officiating wasn't great and Penn State's just a really goddamn good football team. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, I'm going to disagree with you there, Elliot. I I look back at the tape, and on all of Iowa's six fumbles on the day, if you slow it down close enough, you can see the refs swat the ball out of Iowa's post. <laughs> you got to blame the referees here, folks. It's, it's all the refs' fault that Iowa fumbled six times and lost four of them. Yeah. 
it is. Anyway, um, to, <laughs> to, Sorry, folks. All right, all right. To get into it a little bit more here, Iowa clearly shot themselves in the foot in the second half. They did in the first half, but more so in the second half because things just got completely out of hand there. And I, I think a lot of the issue falls at the feet of, well, I mean, I just feel like I'm just going to repeat what I was going to say. It's it's the mistakes and and largely the offensive line. And the fact that the uh, there was one catch by a receiver in this game by Deontay Vines from Deacon Hill, there's just yeah. like, what, what, what's going on here offensively? And it's just, it's continually the same thing as I see Ross shaking his head because it's been the same thing for two to three years now. And I think that's kind of the main takeaway for me from this game is the game was bad. You know, no question, just a total disaster, but the pro the, the way it was bad, it was bad in ways that we're very familiar with. Like it was bad in ways that continued persistent trends and problems. Like, it was not a freakishly bad game. It was like, you know, the receivers didn't get open. The receivers didn't get the ball. The offensive line struggled to block people. Like these have been consistent issues for a few years. So that's why I think this game is, is so alarm alarming because it's like, you know, the biggest game of the season, you know, everyone's hyped up for it, but it's the same problems that we've seen for the last few years. Now we, we changed personnel on offense or Iowa did, New quarterback, new receivers, um, new tight end, a uh, couple, couple new offensive linemen. Although they're playing sparingly, I would, I would, I would say. Uh, but you know, even new faces, same issues. So that, that's what I think is really concerning. I saw Adam uh, nodding his agreement. So, yeah, that uh, one when they announced the Caleb Brown transfer one of the things that i wrote on the site was all right the talent's here now there's there's really no more in the way of excuses the way that there was in 22 and to a lesser extent 21 and so far that influx of talent we've seen mixed at best results from obviously the offense is better for having Cade mcnamara at quarterback than if he weren't and especially now with the injury to Lachey, which obviously nobody could predict, and you, you don't really put together a roster predicting disasters like that. But obviously they are better off for having Eric All than if they didn't. Other than that, the influx coming in, oh, and then on defense, obviously Nick Jackson has been everything that they wanted out of him. But talking about the offense here, you know, what else are – fans seeing out of those new players so far and we will be told that it takes time to ingratiate or into uh to integrate into the offense etc etc and to to some extent that too is true but that also turns into a different sort of structural problem for iowa where in other programs first year transfers can come in and have an immediate impact i mean look at caleb williams He's obviously the, you know, no nobody expected the whatever equivalent of Caleb Williams to be lining up for Iowa this year, right? It's that bar is a little too high to be 
much of an example, but at the same time, first year player Heisman winner. So, and playing quarterback. And whereas at Iowa, it's a one to two year process to learn the offense. So that part of integrating into the offense, taking that long and not being able to see sort of quicker results is in and of itself a problem for the program, especially compared to other programs, because ultimately we're talking about how is Iowa competitive or not competitive. And this is a barrier to productivity. So that's it's something a, that you have to figure it out. Yeah. It's a quote, one to two year process to learn the offense for the, the guys that play the offense. And it's a one week process to learn the offense for the opposing defense that they play every week. That appears to that's be true. It, it definitely seems that way. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to double up on something Elliot said, which is, you know, the offensive line and and those struggles. And, you know, that's certainly, I think, the root issue here is, you know, we, we lament the inability to use the receivers more. And, um, but if Cade's not getting any sort of time, then, um, you know, it's tough to get the receivers involved if the, the line is collapsing all the time and the pocket's collapsing. Uh, so that, you know, that is just a key root issue here. He doesn't have time to make one read. That right. that play where uh, the two fumbles, I mean, he's already looked well on the one that came off his hands on the snap. You have to, th- I, and I, I haven't rewatched the film and I'm, I'm going to um, just with the amount of travel that, that Adam and I had yesterday. But you have to imagine he's already looking up at where the pressure is coming from. So the ball bounces off his hands. The other one, Chop Robinson, made it into the backfield in about half a second and swatted the ball out of his hands. This is not doable. I mean, you could put Caleb Williams back there, and it's going to be pretty damn hard to do anything, let alone when you lose your best player arguably on the team in Luke Lachey, which I don't know that Iowa even scores points with Luke Lachey on the field based on what we saw yesterday. They don't have their two top running backs. And then when they're asked, when Kirk is asked about the offense by John Steppy of the Gazette, who does incredible work, he goes. <sighs> yeah. And, and, and then <laughs> I'm asked, sorry. Like, like we're not stupid. He, I'm sorry. We're not. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Adam. And and then ask John if he should completely rewrite the playbook as if that was what the oh. question was. And Yeah. And we know that our that the fans and and the people on our message boards did not take too kindly to that to that response from Kirk. And you know, John, I I, I agree, stand up guy all the way. And on on some level, you do still have to ask that question in that moment, even though everybody in that room knew it wasn't going to get a. Hey, that's a good idea. Response from parents. We all knew that wasn't going to happen. And, and virtually no coach is going to be like, yep, we are, we are going to reinvent the wheel here. Right. That's, that's an unrealistic expectation to begin with. And, and I think that on some level Kirk's pride was, you know, being involved and, but that's what the money's for, right? That is, if, if you want to be the highest paid Nike hoodie model in the state of Iowa, 
then tough questions are going to come with it. So like I said, we'll be there tomorrow and we will ask questions that will we're going to try to frame them in a way that we don't get the <laughs> I wonder because if we're going to questions to be asked and and regardless of the wholesale aspect of it fans do want to know what the path is to get them executing better i'm doing air quotes for those listening <laughs> executing better to the point where they are once again competitive with these top teams in the conference because like you said it wasn't that long ago that they were so we know i was capable of it we know kirk ferentz is capable of it and honestly some of the players that were on those competitive teams are still there and still contributing so we know the capability is there what's the path to getting it back into practice and i think that's a question that i mean one it's a big question it's you know that he could probably take five hour, uh, he could probably take five hours answering that question but it is something that is that has a little bit more meat on the bone than just yeah we're not rewriting the playbook yeah well we know that yeah I, i'm just curious as to what the upside is of uh of changing i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> bringing back the hits <laughs> uh i you know we may very well get another all-timer uh tomorrow well we'll, we'll have to see but um well. yeah i think you hit it on the head adam i don't know that we're gonna get much tomorrow whether it's from from kirk or, or from the players or uh, and, and you know with with all of that said to have a guy in Cade McNamara, who's coming from one of these top tier programs in Michigan, and then to to end up at Iowa and to step in front of the media yeah, the way he did on Saturday and talk about the confidence that he has in the team and the belief that Iowa can beat Penn State, even though we just saw that yesterday. And I have an article on that with the quotes from both him and Kirk after the game. It's one thing to hear something like that from Kirk and from Brian, who, you know, it, it's a broken record, or from a guy like Spencer Petrus last season. But to hear it from a guy with the pedigree of Cade McNamara, even though it is at Iowa, does that carry any weight to you guys? Because, you, I mean, he's got to substantiate it now. And his play with the offensive line being is not as good as it has been. His play has been... Pretty mediocre to this point. Yeah, I would say ultimately it sort of doesn't matter whether or not it carries any weight with, you know, you or I. It's sure. whether it carries any weight with the team and whether it leads to anything more substantial. I, I told you after the game that it, it was sort of the Tebow light moment for Cade. There, there was a lot of optimism, a lot of redoubling down and and saying that they're going to keep working harder and they'll be better for it. If that's the case, great, right? Because ultimately, if if this is the learning opportunity that he says it's going to be, and Iowa comes out a better team and a better offense for it, like he said they will, then there's a whole lot of goals that are still in reach. And, you know, there it might be the case that they'll look back on this come December and be like, yeah, that that really was a stepping stone moment for the program. Okay. If that, if so, great. 
it, it, would, it would be one of the most productive 31-0 losses I've ever seen. But if there's still structural problems prohibiting or hindering this team from reaching its full potential, then just saying we're going to work hard and we're going to learn from this, well, all right, but I, I can work hard and learn all I want, but if I'm still trying to run my body through a brick wall at some point, you know, I, I got to stop or, or learn masonry, you know, if there's, there's got to be something different happening at that point. So we'll, we'll see what actually changes. And I'm not, and I'm not saying Cade's full of it because honestly, we don't know. And it, it's, it's just one of those things that remains to be seen, but there's a whole lot of people who are not really willing to hear that what this ultimately comes down to is just player execution. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciated Cade's statements, and I, I think, you know, that you want to hear that from your quarterback, absolutely, and that all sounded really good, but I, I think there is definitely a, a real prove-it component with this Iowa team and the offense especially. Like, fans really just need to see the actual output on the field and reflected on the scoreboard to improve, to really buy into – you know, the, the belief there, like the, the words are great and we, we like to have those, but there has to be the end result. And right now the end result in terms of the offensive production has been very meager uh, this season, just the way it was last year. And for about a good chunk of 2021 also. So, you know, and until there's, you know, signs of that really truly turning around um, and for more than just one week against Western Michigan, um, then I think there's going to be some skepticism, but it doesn't mean Cade was wrong to say that, of course. And right. that, like I said, it was a, it was a great, great quote from him. And, you know, we hope that the rest of his teammates and all of them, you know, believe that fully because they're not going to turn this around without, you know, full belief for sure. So. For context, in terms of the numbers where they're at and turning things around total offense, this is out of 133 teams. Are you guys ready? Cause it's going to hurt. Total offense, 131st, first downs, 131st, passing offense, 121st, pass plays of 10-plus yards, 126th, fumbles, 124th. Is that good? (laughs) Breaking news on Hotcast, that is not good. And uh, to the – so – Adam, what where you're coming from and where I think a majority of, of people are coming from with this given situation is, okay, just need to execute better. How do you get to the point where you execute better, right? Yeah. We're talking yeah. about so, – go ahead. Yeah, and it didn't look like execution was the problem on Saturday. Some of it is because Penn State is really good and they're playing in an absolutely electric environment. And Cade said after the game that it wasn't a matter of communication. And I believe him because we didn't see them, you know, gesturing or miscommunicating or anything like that. They they managed the noise pretty well. But just like Iowa feeds off that Kinnick crowd at home pretty regularly, especially when they get fully, you know, voiced up 
like they did in, I don't know, 2021 against Penn State. Like when Kinnick is loud, Iowa feeds off it in a big way. Well, we saw Penn State just feed off their crowd in a big way and put together an absolutely dynamic performance. And and, and we've said that a few times now. So Iowa, I'm, I'm sure from Iowa's perspective, they handled it well enough. They handled the environment well enough. And I didn't see a whole lot of loss of composure, although Cooper DeGene did take off, uh, I believe it was Lambert Smith's helmet at some point in the fourth quarter. And, and that that was looked like a frustration penalty in, in a bad way. And, you know, obviously they that's an easy, easy flag to throw. But it's one thing to say, oh, we handled the noise. It's another thing to say, oh, we handled the effect that that crowd had on the superior team in front of us. And once Penn State hit that last gear, Iowa did not have the dudes to match it. And are they going to execute their way into having that higher gear? Or is there another way to to get there? Do they need to recruit better? Do they need to scheme better? Do they need to position coach better? Do they, what is it? What is it, right? Because 31 nothing. 76 yards of offense when 66 of them coming in the first quarter. That's that's more than somebody missing one block or two blocks or even 10 blocks. Well, 10, 10 might start to get there, but <laughs> it it comes down to more than things to clean up at that point. I, th- I think that is a fair assessment. And so people want a few answers in terms of what is that cleanup. And so we're going to try to get some answers on that. We'll see how lucky we are there. And with that said, you mentioned position coaches. George Barnett was catching an incredible amount of fire on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so was Brian Ferentz. And so was Kirk Ferentz. Now, there are going to be zero staff changes going forward. If there's anything I can guarantee in my entire life, if there's an over-under of one-half staff change going for the rest of the season, I'm taking the under. It's not happening. Right. Right. It's it's, And, and if anybody expects otherwise, welcome to your first year of Iowa football. You know, that is, it's never been Kirk's MO. And he's had unpopular assistants and coordinators before, quite a few of them. And he doesn't, change horses in the middle of the stream doesn't take guys off the staff in the middle of the season, unless there's a really pressing immediate, like unless player safety is directly involved, he's not doing something like that or, or NCAA violations. And, and nobody's accusing Barnett of any, uh, or Brian of either of those things or anybody else on the staff. So that sort of talk is sort of asking for something that is not going to happen uh, sort of along the lines of ski lows uh, all-time hit i wish i were a little bit taller i wish i were a baller you know i i too wish i was like six foot nine so i could get with leoshi but she don't know me but yoshi's really fine and i shout out to ski um you can wish all you want but these are not the people to be asking those questions to, or or to be asking those, I don't know, you want to call them favors or what. Kirk's not going to do it. And 
accepting that <laughs> you, you might not like it, as the Macho Man once said, but you got to learn to accept it. After the season, there's going to be a little bit of that talk. And there's uh, it starts with the contract, the race to 325 or what have you. And suddenly that position has become a lot more untenable than it was three days ago. But even beyond that, how Iowa approaches its position coaching is going to be interesting to see. For whatever it's worth, the staff love Coach Barnett and the players love Coach Barnett. And talking to Coach Barnett, I, I thought he had an excellent grasp of, and, and of course he needs my validation, but you know he, he understood the challenges in front of him. He wasn't, there, there was no disconnect with reality in terms of anything that we were hearing from him in our you know breakout interviews and everything like that i think he understands the job in front of him how that gets translated in and and i will also say that the line is better than it was last year because if if they were playing at a 2022 level against penn state Cade might have been taken out of there on a stretcher he it it would have been ugly and it's not the line play, the recognition and, you know, understanding their assignments is better. It's not that kind of disaster that it was last year, but okay. Now what? Like you, you, you got out of the cellar, you still need to get to the penthouse and you know, there, there's a long road ahead of that. And we'll see if Barnett's still the guy to, to do that. Everybody hopes he is. And I, I think, Kirk is a one on that list, but, but we'll see how that actually keeps manifesting itself on the field. Now with, with speaking of the offensive line and, and where things are at currently, though better than 2022, still not good. And Adam, I know you got to get going here. How like, are we going to get to a point where are we finally going to see Dejon Parker like with run with the ones? Is that going to happen anytime soon? Because it's not like the right side of the offensive line has been the best faction of it. Yeah, I've been a little bit disappointed in what we've seen out of Jennings Dunker so far. He was a guy that I was really hoping to see uh, a big breakout season from. One, I mean, just because he's a really interesting guy and a lot of fun to talk to. And it's 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 more fun to interview interesting players. And I, I was that my selfishly that's what i was hoping for uh dejan seems like a pretty good kid too i and i know that he missed a lot of practice time and that's a really tough thing for a first year player to do and then turn around and try to compete at a big 10 level with four guys that he didn't share a line with you know not only in any previous year of his career but for most of the practice time too so he's he's Parker's got a really uphill climb in front of him still, even still. But we, how many times did we see Dunker get beat? And Penn State's got some dudes on the edge too. And we're, we're talking Sunday dudes. But that's most of the Big Ten. That is, that's the environment that you sign up for when you become a Hawkeye or, or a Boilermaker or a Cornhusker. You're going up against NFL talent nearly every single week that is big 10 football and so far we haven't seen the level of performance that 
befits somebody who's going to be starting a tackle, especially on a 20th century offense like Iowa's. I tell you what. Well, there are a couple more things that I want to get to. Ross, are are, are you good to stick around if, if Adam needs to get going? Yeah. Cool. Well, Adam, if you need five minutes, cool. All right, we'll 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 roll with that. Now, in regards to Parker, I, I think you kind of hit it already, Adam, but I'll just say it a little more plainly. I think his lack of time on the field to this point is probably more telling than anything. I... I don't think anybody's exactly been impressed with Jennings Dunker. I don't think that. Any, I mean, you can even Mason Richmond was awful, awful this weekend. And I mean, I I don't know that. I think I saw a, a statistic from PFF that said that he graded 4.3 out of a hundred. That might, was a that tweet. That was a tweet. So I can't exactly say it verbatim and, and know that it's true. So I should probably look it up before I reiterate it. But um, Ross, I mean, what else do you do now, knowing what we know? Do you go? Do you throw in a Parker? Do you look to the second team? Like, like, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. You know, it's one of those things where if there were better options, you'd think they'd probably have seen more action by now. You know, we're four weeks into the season. Um, there's been a lot of practice by this point. Four games. If someone's not getting many reps, there's probably a reason for that. That said, you know, the level of play on Saturday night was was pretty, pretty poor. So I think you do need to look at all options and, you know, kind of reconsider your your preconceived notions if you have any. And, you know, you just got to get the the five guys out there that are going to do the best in terms of blocking, protecting Cade and and opening holes for the running game. Um if that's the same five guys we've seen, then man, they, you got to figure out some way for them to be more effective, I think. But it's uh, obviously if there were any easy answers, I think we, the coaches would have, you know, gone to them already. So it, it's not a good situation. And I don't think there's a, an easy out to it either, unfortunately. I suppose uh, we'll see going forward and enough, enough, uh, I guess, well, a little bit more negativity before we get out of here. Um, Looking at this game ahead this weekend, obviously a night game against Michigan state. We will preview that with Spartans illustrated somebody from, from there later this week. But then we were told uh, finally informed that the homecoming game against Purdue on October 7th will be at two 30 exclusively on Peacock. Um, I don't know anybody that streams, peacock exclusively honestly i mean you know it's not like everybody's sharing that information readily but what do you guys think about that do you think this is a smart move by the big 10 obviously they're bound by by contract in in this particular circumstance but thoughts i I don't i don't i mean obviously adam and i you are going to be there ross you're our guy who who tends to to watch things from the uh broadcast perspective so i'll go to you for this one yeah, I mean, I actually have Peacock. Um, I had it for some other stuff like soccer. Um, I, you know, from the Big Ten perspective, do they like it? No, I doubt it. You know, they want maximum exposure for their for their teams and, and everything and their athletes. And um, you're not going to get that on a streaming-only service uh, like Peacock. But it's one of the things that they 
you know, they had to agree to when they made that uh, contract with NBC and CBS and, and, uh, and Fox. So, you know, it, it comes with the territory. And you know, if you're going to get the enormous paycheck that uh, NBC has given you, you're going to have to make some compromises in terms of where the games show up. It sounds like. So in, in that case, you know, we got this game on Peacock. I think we'll see, uh, see a few basketball games turn up there as well. Probably it's not, it was the, the expectation. We haven't seen the full, uh, you know, broadcast information for basketball yet, but when the deal was announced, it was like, yeah, there's going to be basketball games on Peacock too. So it's, it's just kind of the, the nature of the beast right now. Um, if the Big Ten wants the giant TV deals, which obviously they do, and we understand why, they're going to have to to deal with stuff like this. It makes things difficult for fans. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to have like, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you need multiple services. And if you're a cord cutter, you got to have some way to watch cable and, you know, all this other stuff. So there's... There's no doubt. It's not easier for fans, for sure. 100% uh, true there. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that I don't have to worry about as as somebody with you know, credentials and don't, you know, don't have to worry about watching stuff on TV. It's not really something that I think about often. So, uh, but when, when thinking of the fan, I, I think it's really, it's just that simple. Now, Depth charts just came out as we're recording this. Looks like the only thing missing, um, well, obviously, other than uh, Luke Lachey at, at tight end with with Eric all at the top there. Running backs, Caleb Johnson, Jazz Patterson, once again, not available to this point. We will learn more about that tomorrow, but not, not ideal. Um, of course, for a variety of reasons, you know, LeSean Williams is a talented football player. You probably don't want him to be your your top running back at, at this point uh, in, in the season in, in Big Ten play. Not alone, not, or you know, let alone burning a red shirt for Kamari Moulton and, and Terrell Washington Jr. If you end up having to do that, not ideal. Both very talented freshmen, both guys that can contribute to the offense. But you, if if there's going to be some development there, and and they end up sticking around for a little bit longer, like what has been a trend for for a lot of players in the history of the Iowa football program burning a red shirt to this point is not ideal. It makes a hell of a lot of sense for a guy like Cooper DeGene who contributed in, in a variety of ways when he was a freshman and, and is probably going to leave early um, or, you know, at least has the potential to, to be a first round draft pick in, in the NFL, but to have to burn a red shirt for Kamari Moulton and Terrell Washington jr. Is not, great especially if you didn't expect them to contribute this year and there's no guarantee that happens but it does become much and more much more like much more likely if Caleb Johnson and Jazz Patterson continue to have to miss games and we'll learn more about that tomorrow like I said right yeah I, I just looked at the depth chart too uh looks very unchanged from last week um like you said uh, still no Caleb still no Jazz uh you guys will get to talk to to Ference tomorrow and he'll I'm sure he'll give some sort of an update on what their availability is. So, you know, that'll be good to know. Uh, I agree. You know, if you'd like to, in an ideal world, keep Kamari and, uh, and Terrell, keep their red shirts. Um, but, you know, that's just going to be dependent on what the availability is at running back. If, uh, you know, if Caleb ends up having to miss a good chunk of the season and, and jazz the same, uh, you know, someone's, someone's got to be back there. It can't just be LaShawn for, <laughs> every single carry or anything. So, 
you know, they're just, I think going to have to wait and see what the health situation is there. Um, you know, we talked about offensive line and at least in terms of the depth chart, you know, no changes to, uh, to what we've seen. So, uh, and I, I, to be honest, I didn't expect any changes on the depth chart. I think if there are changes and I'm not predicting any, to be honest, but if there are changes, I'm not expecting to see anything until Saturday, you know, at the game, um, see if, if something changes during a week of practice, if someone moves into those, you know, with the ones, uh, and then, you know, maybe see what the, what the rotations are. Are there some shorter leashes on, you know, if the starters do stay the same, is it a case where maybe you try to rotate in Rusty Feth more or get Dejan Parker some more, uh, some more snaps at right tackle? Um, yeah, I think we're just going to have to wait probably until Saturday to see how that shakes out. We're not, we're not going to hear too, a lot about like, Oh, here's our plan for the offensive line, <laughs> you know? Right. And if there is a time to do that, it's probably against Michigan state. Cause they are looking pretty rough so far this season, obviously losing their head coach um, to this point, who is definitely suspended. Is that the current state of things or did he officially get fired? Uh, I think, I think they terminated him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For cause. I think I saw that a couple or yep. a week or two ago as well. Yep. Now, uh, on to some basketball news before we get out of here. Chris, Chris Tajo committing to Iowa over the weekend. Uh, Adam and I landed in Pennsylvania, in, in Philadelphia, and saw the, that he was planning on committing because uh, he he shared that information, got that article out, of course, we can check which you can check out on iowa.rivals.com, get a little more information on Chris as uh, we're moving forward and hopefully going to get in contact with him soon and, and talk a little bit more about his commitment. We'll get you more information on, on Chris sooner rather than later on Iowa.rivals.com. But truthfully, I look at this and well, I mean, to a degree, they're both international prospects. And I uh, obviously I think Chris is further along than Laji Dembele is defensively. I think Chris can guard Tajo can guard one through five based on what I've seen athletically doesn't really have a jump shot. Lodgy's more of a, 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 he's, he's more apt to, to shoot from deep. When you're talking about rebounding, I think these guys, uh, well, they have a similar frame and they're both talented rebounders. So that's really where the crossover is as well as the international aspect. Um, but I think this is a solid pickup. He's not a guy that has stars, at least to this point on, on rivals while he's considered pretty He's highly regarded on a few other sites, but I think it's a, a solid pickup. It's not Isaiah Johnson or Igu. It's not, it's not Caden Diggs, right? But he's he's a solid six eight uh guy that has that is is gonna contribute at, at one point or another. And you add him to a four-star power forward in Cooper Koch. Uh, I, I think this is good. I, I think that uh I'm I'm really looking forward to talking to Chris and learning more about his decision. Um and to continue to watch more film on him too, he earned that MVP and uh, I think it's the Bio Steel Canadian All Star Game, twenty five points, sixteen rebounds. So he's a he's a versatile big that can do a variety of things for you. Um, Ross, any takeaways from from stuff that that you've been able to learn about Chris to this point? Uh, I think my biggest you know thing that I noticed is he just he really looks like a classic kind of Fran style recruit. You know he's got uh, that build. Um, you know long athletic uh six foot eight like Franz definitely had a lot of guys like that um and so i i see i can see what fran likes in him uh, i think the athleticism is, is really intriguing 
Uh, there's definitely a rawness there, um, but you know, he's that's been true of some other recruits too. So that's not a concern. Um, and the whole under the radar aspect, you know, I, I remember I was famously a little skeptical of the Murray brothers because they had zero recruiting buzz essentially when they, uh, they signed with Iowa. Clearly <laughs> that worked out better than anyone possibly could have dreamed of and, and was great. And Franz always had an ability to find, you know, under the radar talent. So it doesn't shock me when he, he, you know, finds a guy like this. And um, yeah, I, like you, I'm just really excited to, you know, see what, when you talk to him, what he says and, you know, see some more film and, and what he can do because it's a uh, more mysterious than some of the other, I think prospects than they've they're pursuing, but you know, it's uh, it's exciting too. All right. We'll wrap it up there. We appreciate you tuning into this episode of hot cast brought to you by Iowa.rivals.com. Make sure you come back for Thursday's episode. We'll have someone from Spartans illustrated to preview the game versus Michigan state this weekend. Stay tuned for news on visitors this weekend as well. We'll have a whole spiel on Iowa.rivals.com about all the talent that will be in Iowa city. And there will be a lot of talent there this weekend. So if you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that at Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe and get all that content from us as well as that interview from Chris coming up here soon. Don't forget to subscribe, leave that rate and review wherever you're listening as well. That helps us out a lot and makes us very happy for now. We'll see you next time.